that Titans game has to be one of the worst games I've ever experienced in my life. I am sick to my stomach. It was just straight terrible. There was not one minute of watchable television as a Chiefs fan in that game. And I just, I, I feel like a shroud of sadness is just covering me at all times. But at least I have you, Armando, to talk to about this. Because without you, I have no idea how I would get through this. How you doing this week, bud? Oh, that's right. This is a solo episode, and I'm by myself. Ah! Hello and welcome to another episode of Fountain City Sports Media, a podcast made by the languishing Kansas City fans for the painful Kansas City fans. My name's Reese, and alongside myself, I will be taking you through this magical mystery nightmare land that is the Phantom Zone, that is the current landscape of the Kansas City Chiefs. For those of you who are not paying attention, we just got blown out by the Tennessee Titans last weekend by a score of 27-3, and for the first time in the Patrick Mahomes era, I, I got absolutely nothing good to say about this, this, uh, this showing it was bad it was really bad Tennessee jumped out to a 24 nothing first half lead and uh it was all downhill from there there was nothing that the Chiefs could do every single time we touched the ball the wrong thing happened Patrick Mahomes throws a pass again off the receiver's hands perfect tip drill into a defender for an interception Patrick Mahomes can't take the sack tries to get into field goal range before the half he runs for 20, 25 yards, and of course, the very last second, someone comes out and punches the ball, and the ball again bounces right to the defender for a fumble recovery. Uh, it's just been one of those seasons. It's been one of those seasons. I don't know where to begin. Uh, I will throw out this stat for funsies if, if you like divine punishment. Uh, you know, last season, there was all the talk about Patrick Mahomes has this many turnover-worthy plays, which is a 1,000% imagined stat, which does not exist and was created by some Redditor, quite literally. Uh, This year, he has technically fewer of those turnover-worthy plays by statistics, and uh, yet he has more turnovers on fewer turnover-worthy plays. Uh, Subsequently as well, the National Football League average for recovering a fumble is about 56-57%. The Chiefs' fumble recovery rate this year is just below 33%. I mean, the odds are hitting hard, friends. This is is not good. This is is hitting on 12 and getting a face card like five straight hands. That's, That's what the Kansas City Chiefs are dealing with right now. It's like, you can't stay on 12. You got to do something on 12, but every time you do, the Jack of Hearts is just staring you in the face with his mild-mannered look of sadness and no empathy whatsoever, just stoic judgment. And that's exactly what is being cast. Lady Luck is casting stoic judgment on the Kansas City Chiefs this season. There's really not a whole bunch to talk about, if we're being honest. I mean... We can dissect this game, which was basically no different than anything we've seen uh, in, in the Buffalo Bills game and the first half of the Washington football team game. It, it's been like this a lot of the season. But I think one place to start 
is I do have to say, first off, I redact my statement last week when after that second half against the Washington football team, I said, doesn't it feel like maybe things have kind of turned the corner a little bit? That was the first complete half of football we've played. We have the right personnel in there. Maybe the defense is going to start showing up. The offense is playing a little more methodical. Maybe they're going to start playing more consistently. Uh Uh-uh. None of that happened. All of that was out the window from the very first drive against the Tennessee Titans. Uh, So opening drive of the game, Tennessee drives down the field, puts up seven. Uh, The Chiefs are hamstrung their next drive. And before you know it, we at least pinned Tennessee on their four-yard line. Or was it their three-yard line? Maybe their three-yard line. Doesn't matter with this defense. Tennessee marches 97 yards into the end zone. 14-0. Game over right there. I really could have told you it was game over right there. I could tell from those first two drives that the defense was not showing up today whatsoever. Personnel changes, be darned. It just it wasn't going to happen. Uh, it was also one of those games where it's like, I will say the, the, the lone bright spot in this was Nick Bolton is a thumper. He is a hard-hitting, run-stopping linebacker. I mean, it's, it's very true. You saw it. He tackled Derrick Henry in the backfield no fewer than three times this game. And I do believe that I think two of those tackles for at least a three-yard loss. And he was one and done. This was not slowing him down and swarm tackling. Nick Bolton hit Derrick Henry multiple times. And you could see it in Derrick Henry. He's not used to being hit. And I think that's really fair. You see guys like Earl Thomas being like, oh, you just got to take their legs out. Oh, you know, I'm going to kind of like half tackle you or like slow you down. No, I think it's, you know, Mike Tyson said it. Everybody's a tough guy until they're punched in the mouth. Well, guess what? Nick Bolton punched Derrick Henry in the mouth. And I think Derrick Henry wasn't used to that. Not saying Derrick Henry isn't a bad man. He's not like the boogeyman. He's not this giant plowing freak of nature. But I tell you what, if only for one game, Nick Bolton said, I'm not afraid of you. And he did it all game long. Now, had you told me we we're going to hold Derrick Henry under 100 yards rushing, I'd say, hey, we probably had a pretty good chance of at least hanging around in this game. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Every cornerback or every quarterback not named Taylor Heineken we played this year has wound up looking like the reincarnation of Brett Favre, uh, Johnny Unitas, and uh, a little bit of Troy Aikman's swagger. Oh, gross. I hate Troy Aikman so much. Sorry, David. Uh, but that's what they've all looked like. You could be the sorriest sad sack in the NFL not named Taylor Heineke, and you're going to show up against this defense, and you're going to look like just incredible. And that's what happened this game. We stopped Derrick Henry, but even our beloved Nick Bolton was targeted for seven passes this game and allowed 78 yards receiving. He, uh, he's got a ways to go to be a coverage linebacker. He is not the be-all, end-all. Hopefully when Willie Gay starts getting back up to speed and we get Ben freaking Neiman off this squad, we can have some more reliable people kind of in that front seven coverage position and we don't have to force Nick Bolton to play that position because I love him to death. He's a good tackler. He's a good B-liner. He's not very athletic. Look this up. Creed Humphrey put up better stats in a multitude of agility and speed tests than Nick Bolton did. That is a big problem. So I don't think I really need to discuss much more of this game. I think uh, you know we've looked at the symptoms, but we're not really looking so much at the causes. And uh, I, th- I think what's scariest about this right now is that I-, I really don't think I have an answer 
for the first time since doing this podcast, for the first time even since like the Andy Reid era, I'm talking back to the Alex Smith administration. I really don't have an answer for this team. Um, I, I've said it before. I don't think this is as simple as the league has quote unquote figured out Patrick Mahomes. If I had to put one last predictor on this, I will probably stand my ground of this defense is so bad, as is evidenced by this game, so bad that they are still averaging more than three points per possession. So anything less than a touchdown by the offense is a failed drive. Every single drive for Patrick Mahomes and gang is at least an extended two-minute drill. And I'm sorry, Patrick Mahomes is a wizard. He does crazy stuff. Can't do that every time. Can't do that every time. And you're starting to see it now on the offense. Guys look checked out. I think that has to do a lot with uh, Tyreek Hill's tip drill interceptions he's been having all year, dropping passes, you know, running backwards, trying to outspeed guys when it's just not going to happen. It's a lack of focus. They're not having fun. It's it's a chore. It's a chore for this offense, which, you know, used to have some semblance of knowing what they were doing. And that's just not the case anymore. And I think this week... This week, I want to focus on the coaching staff a little bit more. We've bemoaned a lot of the players. Sorensen, he's finally out. We're seeing far less of him. Neiman, you're next. Uh, but we got a lot of deadweight players that, you know, aren't doing their share. But that's neither here nor there right now. We're going to talk about the coaching this week. We're going to review some beer. It's going to be a good time. It's going to be a good time. So, the coaching issue. Steve Spagnolo. He's got to be gone. He's got to be gone. Uh, we've had two games this year where we have not forced the other team to punt. Spags is still allowing over seven yards per play currently, which is half a yard more than the second worst defense of all time, which you may have guessed is also a Steve Spagnolo defense. It is the 2015, or is it 2016, New Orleans Saints. Uh, Spags, the term is bend, don't break. You can't just keep bending. And I think... His term is Ben don't break, as in Ben Neiman, because he never breaks. Uh, all joking aside, though, this defense is atrocious. Everybody looks lost out there. I've seen a lot of people comparing this to the 2018 defense. Like I've said, the 2018 defense could do two things at least. They were garbage in coverage, and they had mediocre linebackers. But that 2018 defense could generate a pass rush. And the 2018 defense also had a knack for turnovers. Deceptively high turnover ratio with that 2018 defense. But neither of those things are happening this year. We can't get turnovers. We can't generate any pressure unless we're blitzing. And even then, you know, we got to Tannehill a couple times this game. I think we rushed him or hit him twice, but we, we couldn't bring him down. And it's it's unacceptable. Spags isn't doing anything. Uh, he's not motivating these players, obviously. We have the softest front four in all of football. Not for lack of talent, just for lack of softness. I mean, you saw Frank Clark joking around on the sideline after we were getting our butts kicked by 24 late in the game. There he is, just smiling and laughing like we're up 24. Uh, and, and all that starts with Spags. Defensive confusion, defensive pre-snap formation confusion, wrong defensive personnel, not caring. That all starts and ends with Steve Spagnuolo. He's got to be gone by the end of this year. He's got to. He's just got to. Uh, I'm also going to start placing some blame on Eric Bieniemy. Uh, you know, people always said, what exactly does he do here? And it's kind of like the same thing with coaches like Matt Nagy and Doug Peterson 
former offensive coordinators of Andy Reid's who, you know, they look pretty good and then suddenly they're really quickly figured out. Well, if a lot of the play calling has to go on Bienemy, this offense is starting to get figured out really quick. Or worse, they're just completely unraveling. I would say it used to be I could tell what the Chiefs were going to do given their pre-snap formations, men in motion, all that kind of stuff. But right now, every play, unless it's like a halfback counter, it's like I don't know what I'm watching. What am I looking for here? Patrick Mahomes is happy feet. He's drifting way too far back. He won't step up or stay in clean pockets. I mean, some of that's to be expected. You know, he's got the yips after getting obliterated in the Super Bowl. And right now... Orlando Brown, that left tackle, who I'm sure they're probably going to give a massive contract to, is not good at all in pass protect. <sighs> so Eric Bianchi's not adjusting. And maybe, like some people said, maybe he is just a play relayer for, relayer for Andy Reid, and that's kind of his job. That's kind of where the buck stops with him. But, you know, the offense does not look good. And you know what? I'm spreading this thick across all the coaching staff. I think for the first time ever, this might be the time where you kind of wonder, is this the end of the Andy Reid era in Kansas City? Is it? Because you got a $500 million man behind center who's just about to enter the prime of his career. Andy Reid's been sleepwalking, man. Now, I know he's got stuff going on in his life, but... This year, a lot of that play calling has just gone out the window. We've seen the cute little gadgety trick play stuff that I'm sure they do, you know, before and to end practices. And, you know, that's why they do those things in the goal line. But, like, none of these formations are inspiring at all. Guys can't get separation. I don't know if it's a lack of talent or what's going on. But speaking of guys not getting separation, again, what was the point of bringing in Josh Gordon to kick the tires on him if you're not even going to take the car out of the garage? Josh Gordon didn't have any snaps this last week, did he? Did he have maybe one or two? He's not even out there blocking anymore. It's like, why aren't we throwing anything against the wall and trying to make it stick? Why is Demarcus Robinson out there so much? Just humor us and be like, guess what? Robinson, Gordon, you're flipping snaps this game just to see if we have anything going with Gordon here. Because again... <laughs> The blueprint to slow down, not stop, slow down this Chiefs team is out there, and people have been doing it. Rush four, two high safety, bracket coverage Tyreek first and second, Travis Kelsey on third, and you dare anybody else to consistently beat you. We don't have anybody else to consistently beat them. The receivers we do have at wide receiver two through four are all small, quick guys, which they can't when they're getting bumped and chugged around these giant NFL defensive players. It's not good right now. We don't have a run. I like, you know, making jokes about LOL Daryl Williams, but like Daryl Williams is what at best, at best, a top 20 starter back in the NFL. I mean, there, I can name a few teams that run too deep better than Daryl Williams. This offense isn't looking good. And Andy Reid seems checked out. He seems disinterested. And this year, or this this last week, he said at the press conference. We're seeing things I haven't seen before. That sounds an awful lot like the coach speak version of Sam Darnold saying, I'm seeing ghosts out there. That is extremely concerning to me. Now, there's plenty of blame to go around. And I could talk in circles about some of these players, about the lack of effort, about the lack of cohesion, about all the stupid mental errors. But I do think it's pretty harrowing that we heard from a few different people back at the end of training camp saying, we didn't have the best camp. That makes me nervous. And I think it's kind of like, 
that would be the thing that's said in a film before like the title card hits and you're like what do they mean by that and then like by the second act of the film you're like oh that's what they meant by that and that's kind of the chiefs this year i don't know if they were just like dinking around and in off-season practices and training camp thinking that, like they were the bees knees be all end all couldn't be touched but man i think saying we had a bad training camp or a lackluster training camp is the understatement of the century the absolute understatement of the century now i have given this some thought though and i'm not all gonna be doom and gloom i've been putting my nose to the grindstone hitting the books watching film dissecting things And I think all of our problems still start and end with the defense. And the reason being, the defense is not following the John Cena method of the three principles of hustle, loyalty, and respect. break this thing down for you. Hustle, loyalty, and respect are the three things John Cena always said you needed in life, and that's what made you an unstoppable, flat-topped Adonis that will later go on and play Peacemaker in Suicide Squad. John Cena's great. John Cena knows what's up. Now let me tell you what's up with this Kansas City Chiefs defense and why they're failing at life. First off, number one, hustle. This defense has absolutely No hustle whatsoever. You saw that clip going through Twitter this last week where Derrick Henry goes right by Chris Jones, who isn't even getting blacked that hard. Chris Jones kind of puts out like like the quiet fart equivalent of an arm tackle. Henry goes right by him. Chris Jones like turns around and just like stares at him. It's like you're not even going to try. You're not even going to step out. You're not going to try and throw your guy in there, Chris Stone Cold Jones. Cheapers creepers. Lack of hustle. Frank Clark. We're paying him. He's he's the most expensive man on that defense and one of the top three most expensive players in the NFL this year. I don't see any hustle. Frank Clark's hustle consists of doing one wet fart equivalent of a spin move. If that doesn't work, spin back the other way. That didn't work. Okay, I guess I'm not getting to the quarterback. Frank Clark's a joke. I'm sorry. He just is. Speaking of which, Mr. You-Can't-See-Me, Jaron Reed, I can't see you at all because you haven't done anything all season. Where's your hustle, friend? Do you even have a quarterback hit this year? I think he has a tackle for a loss, maybe two tackles for a loss. I thought he was supposed to be the answer. I thought he was supposed to be, like, the missing link for Frank Clark's Seattle buddy, and they were just going to, like, reignite Legion of Boom 2.0 on the defensive line along with Frank Clark. Obviously not. Lack of hustle. Absolute lack of hustle. Number two, loyalty. Loyalty, loyalty, loyalty. There's a lot of players, and Andy Reid said this earlier this year, that come to the Kansas City Chiefs and think they show up and think they're just going to win a ring just because. We got Patrick Mahomes. We got talent. Ha, ha, ha. We're contenders. It don't work that way. You also don't get on the field right away just because you're a Chief and just because you're some big name. It doesn't work that way. You also see a bunch of players getting extremely complacent, particularly on that defensive line, once they get paid. They don't have any loyalty. They've gotten paid. Most of them have a championship ring from this. They've hit the pinnacle of their career. They can just ride off into the sunset. They can play out these contracts, bamboozle a different team for probably another three-year contract after this to get another you know, like $15 million, ride off into the, comfortably into the sunset. There is no loyalty to this organization. What happened to having Arrowhead pride? 
I'm like dead serious about this. You know, like back in the 90s, everyone's like, oh, we're the loudest, most brutal stadium there is. Yeah, okay, I guess we're, we're kind of loud still. And like, oh, our defense are so hard-nosed. Guess what? Marty Schottenheimer did not create Marty Ball for this defense to be as soft as two-day-old ramen in the back of the fridge. That is exactly what these guys are because they have no loyalty to the organization on their helmet or their fans. Number three, the thing they're lacking, respect. That's because offenses don't have any respect for this defense. None at all. They went from, I'll have her home at nine, sir, to she calls me daddy too. That's exactly how they feel about this defense. Let me tell you what, teams are not afraid to go for it on fourth down. When they're down deep, third and 11 plus, you know what they do? They throw a bubble screen. They throw a bubble screen and pick up 12 to 15 yards. This has been a year and a half now that we have a defensive coordinator and players that have not figured out how to defend a bubble screen. Are you kidding me? Nobody knows what to do? Offenses don't respect this defense. Derrick Henry. They're going to stop Derrick Henry for under 100 yards rushing? Okay, guess what? We're still going to gash him. We're going to gash him with an older Julio Jones and our other receivers who aren't really playing up to snuff this year. I think, don't quote me on this, I think coming into this game, Byron Pringle technically had more fantasy points than A.J. Brown. They're not playing great, but there's no respect for this defense, so they are just going to stunt all over these Joes. That is exactly what they're doing. Hustle, loyalty, respect. This has been a John Cena minute, and we're going to have a beer review when we return. It's everyone's favorite time of the podcast. And if I said that sitting alone in a closet ranting about the Kansas City Chiefs to myself was the low point of my life, well, ladies and gentlemen, we may have just struck bedrock because now I'm sitting alone in a closet drinking a beer by myself. But fear not, this is week number four in our exclusive series. It's the Hunt for Red October Fest. That's right, the Hunt for Red Oktoberfest wraps up this week with our fourth and final selection. I don't know, I'm pretty sure Armando still has another one he wants to review on the podcast, but the fact he had to dip this week means we couldn't do it. So it's on me to review this bad boy. And this is where it's going to get really interesting. I've said a whole bunch of nonsense about the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm hoping, actually, to counteract that with a little bit of actual beer history in this week's beer. Now, this is something I wish Armando was here to like talk to about more because this is really fascinating stuff. Now, I know we've been saying we've been drinking Oktoberfest beers, and it's super cool because that's kind of a blanket term that encompasses a whole bunch of different things because Oktoberfest is technically a celebration, not a style of beer. Generally speaking, when you're in America and you get an Oktoberfest-style beer, what you are getting is a German-style Märzen which is a lager that they produce in March. They let it lager all summer long until it's ready for the festivals in the fall. Generally speaking, these Meritson-style beers over here are going to be a little bit of malty sweetness, maybe just like a hint touch of coffee, toffee, a little bit of nuttiness, and I would say very low on the hop flavor. So things like Free State Oktoberfest, Bob's 47, Odell, 
Those are all Mertzens. Now, what I have today is actually a Fest Beer Lager from Maplewood Brewing in Chicago, Illinois. Now, if you want to call back to like way, way back ago, Armando and I were like ripping on places like, hey, there's not that many good breweries in Chicago. There's like Pipeworks and Goose Island. That's about it. Well, I have to redact my statement because like everywhere I turn my head now is a Chicago brewery showing up. Maybe distribution's just getting better. Maybe Chicago was like the gateway to the West for a lot of different beers, but that's neither here nor there. This week, I am reviewing a Fest Beer Lager. Now, I can't tell you exactly what's in this can. I would like to believe that this brewery, when they say Fest Beer, isn't just using that as like an encompassing term to describe, you know an Oktoberfest lager. Uh, are you confused enough yet? Here, here's my thing. Next year, there is a friend of the podcast working at the brewery, Carl Wieter-Anders. He is an expert on this kind of stuff. So I'm going to do my best this year to give you the cliff notes on the different styles of Oktoberfest lagers. And next year, we'll bring Carl in as a special guest, and he will give you his entire TED Talk on this because he is just the best at it. So here is the deal. In the very beginning, all beer served at the Oktoberfest was, it was like a dark lager. It was actually kind of dunkles. In the beginning, there were dunkles. And I think we've all had those before, especially if you've had Casey Beer Co. Dunkel. It's one of their flagships. It's delicious. It's malty. It's a little bit darker, right? It's a little bit darker. Now, moving on forward, you're in kind of like the early to mid-1800s uh, at this point. You're starting to see that Dunkel style lager made with a little bit more of like a Munich malt, which in combination they use some pale malt. And that's what creates what people kind of know as like the modern Meritzen, which kind of moved Dunkel out to the side and became, you know, the official beer of Oktoberfest. Now, flash forward even farther into the 1970s and Pauliner, I know you've seen this. This is, this is that beer that always comes like packaged with that giant 32-ounce Moss Krug at grocery stores and stuff, Pauliner went out and created a lighter version of that lager still that would be full of flavor, but crushable, which I can only assume is Das Crushable in German. But lo and behold, this beer he created, uh, they created in the 70s, is a much lighter lager, crispier lager, less sweet, more dry, and from my experience, it's got a bit more of a lasting white head on top of it. So that is the Fest beer that is now the official Fest beer to be served on the fairgrounds at Oktoberfest. Now, any beer expert Cicerones out there listening to me, if I've gotten this wrong, please forgive me. Do not blow up my inbox. Do not dox me. Do not hit me with all these different things. Now, to my understanding... In the U.S., Oktoberfest-style beer, by and large, like 99% of the time, is considered to be a Meritzen, which is that German or Bavarian-style amber lager. Those that you've experienced are probably sweeter. They're probably a little bit toffier. I've heard it described actually as kind of like a popcorn ball flavor, which I think is pretty cool. But that is what you're probably going to find if you roll into a standard United States brewery and you order an Oktoberfest. It's going to be a U.S.-style Meritzen Amber Lager. So, after beating my gums, I am sure ready to cool them down with this delicious Fest Beer Lager 
from Maplewood Brewing in Chicago, Illinois. Now, for those of you just joining us in the podcast for the very first time, we judge beers with five special criteria, those being aroma, appearance, flavor, mouthfeel, and aftertaste. We grade each category on a scale of one to ten, one being bad, ten being fantastic, and we just make our way through the review. So, going forward... And pouring this beer into my glass. <laughs> so, side story. There is a Who Wants to Be a Millionaire clip uh, back from like 2001 where Norm MacDonald, rest in peace, uh, was the celebrity guest. And he got on a question where it was something about like this piece of art uh, lies in this museum and he said, "It. he's like, I hope it's not A or I hope it's not B. Wait, if I told you that and used my 50-50, they're going to give me A and B, aren't they? And Reed is like, no, 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 of course not. So he uses his 50-50 and, of course, it's left with A and B. So he is none the better off knowing where that piece of art came from. Now, as I alluded to, we're going we're gonna to skip ahead and start with appearance on this one. As I alluded to, Fest beers are generally much lighter, more see-through, uh, kind of the color of... I don't want to say American Pale Lager. That's that's doing it a disservice. But this one <laughs> straddles the line between being a amber lager and being a light lager. Not to mention this bad boy is quite hazy. I mean, I cannot see my can on the other side of this glass. So this is going to be very investigative because right now, again, I this fest beer is neither here nor there. Are they using fest beer as a general term for beers of the fest, or are they using it for that 1970s Pauliner style that's become the official beer of Oktoberfest? So, for that being said, uh, oh boy, I'm gonna give this a five out of ten just because I don't know any better. I don't want to give this like a nine and have people say, "Well, it's not the right color to be a fest beer, bro." And I also don't want to be like, it's too dark to be a fest beer to my eye. And people are like, well, fest beers could be dark. So I'm kind of stuck between Rocktoberfest and a hard place Toberfest. So five on appearance. Uh, moving on, maybe Aroma will kind of peel back some of the layers of this mystery for us. Man, again, it's neither here nor there. It tastes, it smells a little snappier than a United States Meritson style would. However, I still am picking up a lot of sweetness on here. A lot of uh, toffee, caramel, a little bit of brown sugar. Perhaps they just spent more time roasting their malts. Uh, that being said, it's not a bad smelling beer. It's just, again, if we're going to be like super sticklery, is this fest beer, fest beer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm going to give Aroma on this uh, a 7, because whatever it is, it smells nice. It's neither here nor there. So here we go. Deciding factor, Category 3, Flavor. Okay, now here's the thing. Most definitely Fest Beer. Most definitely that mid-20th century style Fest Beer. It is much more dry. It's got a much more champagne-like quality to it. A little bit sweeter than other Fest beers I've had. 
but very nice. Just a slight, slight hit of caramel. Kind of like I said, uh, people describe it as like a, a popcorn ball. A little bit of that. You got that kind of like butter savory with a little bit of like caramel sugar sweetness to it, but not too much. Plenty of hot bitterness in there. Some of those noble hops going on. I'd be curious to see exactly what they used. Uh, but all things considered, it's a tasty beer. I'm going to give flavor on this. That's an 8-3. Eight, 8-3, three. Uh, eight, three. yeah. I think that's pretty fair. Moving on to category number four, mouthfeel. As alluded to, lighter, snappier, uh, more effervescent than what you'd probably get if you had a Mertzen. Uh, it's very easy to drink. goes down smooth. It doesn't permeate in the mouth too long. And for those reasons, I'm just going to jump up and give this an 8.7 for mouthfeel. It's a very pleasant, very drinkable, very crushable beer. Category 5, aftertaste. I said it before, I'll say it again. I like beers that have a nice bitter aftertaste to them. There's a lot of styles that those go for. You know, uh, Oktoberfests, IPAs, American Pale Ales, all those things. I like my party up front and my hops out back. That's like the lamest thing I've ever said, but I'm sticking to my guns. Party out front, hops out back. Uh, and that's that's what this beer does. I get those nice caramel notes on the flavor profile, but the hops really present themselves in the back half. Which for me, that's a whole circle of life drinking experience right there. For that reason, I'm going to give aftertaste on this uh, 8.4. Not quite as high as the flavor, but still very respectable aftertaste, 8.4. Last but not least, BDQ. Hmm. So this one's a bit of a it's a bit of a mystery. All things considered, I like the can art. It's got this uh matte white with a little bit of like a tread pattern in it, along with a reflective metallic blue. So you got those Bavarian colors going on right there. Uh you know, can art, it's it's attractive, it's sharp. I immediately found this when I was looking for, you know, Oktoberfest style beers at the beer store. Uh but because, like I said, it's confusing and it's kind of it straddles the line between, you know, is this uh, is this gonna be an amber? Is this a dunkel? Is this uh, you know a modern fest beer? It's a little confusing. I'm not sure exactly what they're going for. Perhaps somebody who's a cicerone who is better versed in this stuff could be like, yeah, you know, A can be B, but B can't be C, but C can be A. Technically, you know, it's like maybe that would help. All things considered, it's a good beer, but I'm a little confused, and there's nothing about this that really screams uh, big stonk drinkability quotient. So for that, the BDQ on this beer, I'm going to leave it fairly low. This is like a 6 BDQ. I would get it again if I had to make like a six-pack of, you know, Oktoberfest-style lagers to bring to friends. I would include this in there if it's a nice middle ground, nice change of pace, but... Not a whole bunch of big, stonky drinkability quotient in this beer. So, 6.0. 6.0. Well, I hope you guys have enjoyed the hunt for Red Oktoberfest. Uh, Armando and I have talked, and we kind of want to do more of these uh, beer-style-themed months in the future. So, I don't know, watch for uh, watch for Fest Beer February and Mar Merz in March and uh, America Pale Ale April. And who can forget my favorite... Marshmallow Stout May. So keep an eye on those bad boys. But until then, back to the show.
discussion this week is going to be against the New York Giants. Uh, there's not a whole bunch to say here. The New York Giants are not good. However, neither are we. So this is what happens when a stoppable force meets a movable object. And the question is, is Danny Dimes going to fall on his face? Or are we going to have like three more of those Patrick Mahomes volleyball tip drill interceptions? I really don't know. Uh, I think this game is going to be a big deciding marker for the season. If we lose to the Giants, it is 99% game over. Like There's there's no coming back from that. We're going to be 3-5. and five. The Giants are not a good team. They might be the weakest team remaining on our schedule. Because I think the Broncos have a better defense. Teddy Bridgewater is a competent enough quarterback to pick our porous defense apart. So we lose to the Giants. It's all but over. Pack it in. Look towards the offseason. Look towards unloading some thick, useless contracts. That being said, Monday Night Football, I would like to believe that Kansas City can get up for that. I would like to believe that they know this is do or die now. And if they truly want this to be a successful season, even at this point, I think making the playoffs is a successful season. They need to get their rears in gear and show up against the New York Giants. I don't want to give a prediction on this right now because the team looks so lost and so aloof. I mean, it's it, it just feels like you know closing your eyes and throwing grass into the air and finding out which way it's going to fly because you just don't know. You just don't know. I think it's foolish to give a prediction, but if I had to, I would probably say mash the over. I'm going to guess that Danny Dimes and some of the weapons he have are going to be enough to drop at least 20 in our defense, if not more. Uh, The question is now at this point, can our offense get it together enough to not press and put 20-plus points on this G-Men defense? Again, nothing world-beatery, but man, I'll, I'll tell you what, I am scared. I don't trust anything this team does. Every single play, I expect something to go wrong. That being said, for the sake of saving this season, let's say it's uh let's say it's 23-20 Chiefs final score. 23-20 Chiefs final score. That's what I hope. Well, anyway, uh, we will have some more exciting Fountain City Sports Media action coming up for you because after this week, we start playing some other teams that are quite interesting. We got the Packers, we got the Cowboys just lingering down the pipeline. So we'll see if we can maybe get some special guests in for that. Otherwise, that is all the time we have for you this week. Thank you so much for listening to Fountain City Sports Media. Peace out. We'd like to thank you for joining us today on Fountain City Sports Media. This podcast is brought to you by listener support, so consider becoming a friend of the podcast. Check out our Patreon page at patreon.com backslash FCSM to gain access to premium content including outtakes, bonus episodes, and exclusive beer reviews. Check out our website at fountaincitysportsmedia.com for more info on the podcast, social media, and of course, the goings-on in the beer industry. Special thanks to bands Carswell and Hope and Like a Tiger for providing our intro and outro themes. And as always, I'm Reese, and alongside my good friend Armando, we thank you for tuning in to Fountain City Sports Media. 